Hello, welcome to a bunker extra for Labour Party Conference Week. Our own managing editor Jacob Jarvis is in Liverpool and he talked to Barry Gardner, Labour's ex-Shadow International Trade Secretary and former Shadow Energy Secretary, for today's edition of Oh God, What Now? But the full conversation was very interesting, so we thought you'd bring you the lot as a special edition. So have a listen, Jacob Jarvis talking to Barry Gardner. Hello, I'm Jacob Jarvis here from the Bunker Podcast, and we are sat in the Heathrow Lounge at Labour Party Conference up in Liverpool, and I'm delighted to be joined by a friend of the podcast, Barry Gardner, MP, is here with me today. Barry, how are you? How's your day been so far? It's great. Uh, You get up, you go into the thing, and you start arguing straight away, you know, what could be better? Life Life is rich. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of an argument with you, Barry. That's a, that's a fact. But we obviously want to talk about what's happening at Labour Conference. But I would be loath not to ask you a little bit about the, the shambles we saw last week at the Conservative Party Conference. Does that make things exponentially easier for you coming here and being able to refute all of the points they made and kind of push back against them? Or does it also kind of trap you a little bit in that you, you, know, you don't want them to dictate what things are being said at your conference here? Yeah, look... Um, it was Napoleon who said uh, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake I think it would be silly of us to focus on them our purpose at this conference is to focus on the public it's to focus on people out there and the things that matter to them and to show that we've got the answers Um, if we start simply slagging off the Tories and saying ha ha look how divided they are you know we've had our divisions in the past let's just try and get out there and focus on what the public wants to focus on so I mean I think the positive attitude here at this conference is amazing and not surprising we come off the back of Rutherglen you know everybody's got a bit of a yeah a sort of not just a bounce in their step but the shoulders are pushing up there it's yeah it's great well, the, the last time I was at a Labour conference actually was 2019, which interestingly was also the, the last conference before an election. We all know how that kind of played out. Does this feel markedly different to you know, any conference in your, in your recent memory? It feels like a, different, a wholly different vibe to me here than, than previous years. I, I'm not sure it's wholly different um, because we've had positive, you know, really positive conferences. Look, 2019, of course, was a, a very, very different affair because you were talking about um, a dividing line at that general election where the public had been divided over Brexit. And I think it's very interesting to see, I mean, having just said I wasn't going to talk about the Tories, you've now prompted me to talk about the Tories. If you look at the dividing lines in that election, it was all over Brexit. It was about the terrible things that the EU was supposed to be doing to us, like, you know, stopping us having bendy bananas and stuff like this. Look at the Prime Minister's speech two weeks ago. He reproduced all the the stock play of the 2019 election. Basically, the bendy bananas were now taxes on eating meat, forcing you not to go on holiday making sure that you always travel with 17 other people in your car so that you can, you know, save on fuel. You know, and he scrapped all these proposals which never existed, just like the bendy bananas, never existed. In 2019 was this, don't worry, we can leave the EU, we can still have all the benefits um, of, of membership. Complete nonsense. 
and two weeks ago, it was, don't worry, we can still achieve our net zero targets. We just don't need to do anything in order to get there. Um, complete nonsense. So, But what he's done is he's created a dividing line that's really about who do you identify with? Are you a petrol head or are you an environmentalist? Um, and that segregation of the population, that divide, dividing people up and trying to get them to take sides against each other, it's what conservatism is all about. And, and that's why I think at this conference it's really important that we are united in what we're doing and we show that we've got a vision for the, the British public that brings people together around the things that are really important to them. One of the questions with Labour is sort of, what is it standing for? And, they, you know, you don't want to divide the public, but you do need to really firmly divide yourself from the Conservatives at this point. What are you wanting to, to front foot to show, other than the fact that it's, you know, it's not a shambles here, people aren't talking about conspiracy theories and 15-minute cities and the like, but there has to be more than that. What are the, you know, the priorities you're wanting to really focus on, get out there? And when you, you, know, when you speak to people around the hall, what are they wanting to feel like Labour is there for for them? Let me name two things that Angela referenced in her speech. She talked about fire and rehire, um, something which I campaigned on hugely, produced the documentary to stop fire and rehire. We got all the unions on board. That is something that everybody in the Labour movement recognises is absolutely wrong. And the public recognised it when they saw what happened on P&O ferries, right? Employment rights... Treating people fairly, treating people decently is at the heart of what Labour is about and it's the heart of what Labour should be about. So that's one thing that I think is really important. Um, the other thing uh, that she mentioned in her speech is about leasehold reform. You know, we've got to get rid of this feudal system of leasehold um, I, I actually campaigned back in 1999 for the 2002 Act on Common Hold and Leasehold Reform, right? And in my second reading speech, I said, look, OK, we're making a bit of progress, but we're not there and we're going to have to come back to this. I said, we'll need to come back to it in six or seven years' time. Here we are, 20 years later, and we still have not reformed the leasehold system. And yet we've got literally millions of British people trapped in their own homes. EWS1 forms, fire safety defects, can't sell, can't move on with their lives. These are the things that really concern people out there. And it's fantastic that right here at the start of Labour Conference, these are things that Angela put front and centre. So they feel to you that she's really stepped up to that plate of being able to be a sort of firebrand that you need at the, the front a little bit, whilst maybe Keir Starmer sometimes has been a little bit more sensible in his ways and is a little bit more downplayed and low-key. You're, you're not going to get me to go into that duopoly and, 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 and start dividing lines. No, no. Look, you remember what it was like when Tony and, and, and John were, were there as leader and deputy leader, right? Um, they were totally different. Totally different personalities, totally different backgrounds, but it worked well together. It's a package, and it's important that it's the package that people see, and they look at Labour and they think, yeah, you know, we, we've got the cautious approach that says 
we're going to do this, we're going to be fiscally responsible, all of that. But they've also got the, the blood and guts fire of someone like Angela that says, I've been a trade unionist all my adult life, I've been down on the shop floor, I know what the hard end of life is like, and I'm bloody well going to make sure that other people don't have to go through it as well. The economy and business is a, a big focus here at this conference. It's a hard thing when it comes to the economy, though, is that you, you don't know what's going to be left in place when, you know, if Labour comes into government. Who knows what state of affairs? We've seen that HS2, for example. Keir Starmer has been asked if it's something he would want to, to bring back and renew. But if land is all sold and money has been moved around, you, you're going to be, have your hands tied. So on the economy, getting into detail... How can you plan to have that amount of detail when you just don't know what will be in place there? Look, it's a fair question. I started my life in Parliament with just such a conundrum because we'd had uh, an issue in, in my part of London uh, over the closure of uh, an a unit in a general hospital. And we had campaigned on the promise to bring it back, OK? During the election, the Tory government had ripped out all the back stuff of the A&E, so there was no surgical unit, there was no, uh, no facility to take somebody into A&E and then put them into surgery, right? So when it came in, we couldn't do it. So we made promises about restoring the A&E or you know, making sure that we kept the A&E at Edgware General Hospital. We couldn't deliver and what we did was we then brought the community together and we tried to do the next best possible thing. And we did, okay? And actually the community were comfortable with that in the end. But I, I'm only too acutely aware of the fact that until you're sitting in the minister's office, you don't actually know what you're dealing with, right? And your civil servants can come in on day one and say, well, actually, we've looked at the Labour Manifesto, we've looked at the plans, and some of this is actually physically no longer possible, or financially no longer possible. So we've got to be cautious, but caution doesn't mean you don't prepare. Caution means you don't over-promise, but what you do is you actually plan now for the delivery that you want to do. And that's difficult. It really is difficult in opposition. You know, when I was a minister in the DTI, I had what, about 1,200 people working to do whatever it was that I had committed to in my manifesto. In opposition, even the top people in the shadow cabinet probably have no more than about three special advisors, right? So to plan an economy is damn tough. And of course, what we need is the most transformative plan for our economy that anybody has been ever forced to have. And that is a completely new green infrastructure in this country. Because unless we do, it's not about, oh, well, we won't meet our Paris targets, oh, well, we won't meet our UN targets. This is about our economy will go to shot. 
we will not be able to function. We will lose jobs in this economy. So it's, it's vital environmentally, but it's vital economically. It is the only way of sustainably growing our economy, providing the jobs and the services that our people want. And that's why we have to plan for it now. You know, if you look at the problems we have and you put them against the benefits that we have, the largest capacity for wind anywhere in the world, right, offshore wind, Look at what we have. We've got world-leading technology, literally the world-leading technology in electrolysis for hydrogen. We've got all of these things, but because for the past 10 years the Tory government has not planned and integrated, we don't have the grid connectivity, we don't have the capacity to deliver the, the hydrogen power that we're going to need for our heavy industries, so our steel industry, our chemical industry, our glass industry, our potteries industry. And if we don't get that in place damn quick, we're going to lose jobs in those core industries. So this is absolutely essential for our economy, but this job of planning has not been done. And you look at what the Committee on Climate Change says, you look at what all the business leaders at this conference are saying, you know, they're saying there has been no joined up plan. And that now is down to a very few people in the Labour Party to try and do working with industry, but not having the civil service behind it to deliver. So we've got to plan so that when we come into government, we're ready to deliver that as best we can be and then we sit down with the civil servants and they tell us actually these are the counters that are on the table and these are the chips that have been taken off. Is it hard to communicate two messages in some ways where we're going to have to explain to some people that you can't let perfection be the enemy of the good and going to have to make the best of things and do the best possible plan that there can be but then on things like climate and green issues we need to be pretty damn close to perfect for it to work we need to go really really far it's hard to juggle those two two notions and communicate that as a whole to people look we need to be on a war footing when it comes to the green infrastructure and the green transformation that we need for our economy in the second world war we built ships in four days ships we can do it, but it's about mobilising our economy in a way that we haven't done for basically 80 years. And that's what is now required. And we have to impress on the public that what we're faced with is a war against the climate, right? whereby if we don't win this war, we will lose jobs and our economy will fail. So it's, it's, part of this is not just making sure you've got the capacity on the grid, making sure that you've got the infrastructure to deliver electricity where it's needed or the storage capacity for hydrogen that we're going to need. All of this is about educating the public about how important it is that when we say this needs to happen here and it needs to happen now, we don't have three years of a planning process saying, oh, well, actually, Mrs. Jones down the road isn't too happy about that. 
actually, this is a national imperative, and we've got to deliver it. Um, but it's also about taking the workforce with you. It's about explaining to people, creating the skills and the jobs. Because at the moment, you know, we have 144,000 people employed in our energy infrastructure in this country. Within the next 15 years, we need to have 400,000 people employed in that. That's the scale of the transformation that we're talking about. And that means, yes, educating people. It means putting those apprenticeships, putting those skills and training programs in place. And that's why education is absolutely fundamental to this. STEM subjects, you know, making sure that we have the skills base there to deliver the outcomes that we need. your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell, and me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. One final question. Imagine I am an undecided member of the public. I don't know who to vote for. Tell me, why am I voting for Labour then? I wouldn't tell you. I'd ask you. I'd ask you, what's important to you? Uh, is it your children? Do you have children? Um, is it your career? Um, what are the things that you want out of life? And then when you tell me that, I would explain how I believe Labour's policies will enable you to better achieve the goals that you have. Because, you see, I, I think if politicians start with themselves and say, you know, we're going to tell you how to live your life, we're going to tell you why our policies are, are good for you, then actually we're starting from the wrong place. Our democracy is a representative democracy. That means that politicians are elected as constituency MPs. They're elected to find out what the problems are that their constituents have and, and not rush around like social workers necessarily, although there is a lot of that, but actually then to provide legislative solutions to eradicate those problems. So any good policy starts with the problems that people have and then it feeds back the solutions. Barry, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure.